Welcome to the Our Voice podcast, brought to you by Croydon Vision. At Croydon Vision, everything we do is focused on transforming lives and encouraging people to reevaluate what's possible when you're blind or partially sighted. There is life after sight loss. Thank you for listening, for your time and your support. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to the Our Voice podcast and video. Um, today I'm joined by Dr. Amit Patel. Uh, welcome, Amit. How are you doing? Thank you so much. No, I'm doing really well, thank you. Excellent. I must also point out that I'm also joined by Kika, but she is lying kind of, I don't want to say belligerently because that, that feels disrespectful, but she's like having a rest there, down, just down there. Yeah, she's a bit of a, she's kind of got used to this. So she yeah. Knows just to, just to take it easy. You might hear a snore. Yeah, okay. In, in between, uh, but that, that's her. Okay. Good. Okay. So anyone watching, if you hear any noises like that, that is neither Abbott nor myself. That is Kika. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm going to kick off straight away. Uh, you're kind of a big deal on social media and also in print. So a lot of people will know your story, but tell me a bit about your journey to visual impairment for people who don't know. So I haven't always been blind. I, I have a condition called keratoconus, uh, which... It's quite a common condition. It's where your corners kind of protrude out of your eyes slightly. Right. And for for the majority of people who, who have the condition, it's kind of rectified by wearing glass lenses um, to kind of push the corners back into shape or having a simple cornea graft. Um, uh, and I was actually, I wasn't diagnosed until very late on it. I was, I was in my, I was in my final year of med school when I was diagnosed and it was very much, I was having headaches. I can, I can quite concentrate. I can focus on things. I kept being told for about six months that it was because I was sat with my head buried in a book in a right. different library. Okay. Um, and I needed to take breaks. And I just kind of, I kind of had to pursue it myself. It got to a point where nobody else was really diagnosing me correctly. They kept changing my prescriptions on my, on my glasses. Right. But that was about it. So it was only when, when I actually found out what it was uh, that I started wearing hard contact lenses for a while and then pursued on to having a corneal graft later on but I was the very unlucky person that grafts just didn't kind of work they kept rejecting right how does that when you say unlucky it's kind of an interesting word isn't it like it's the type of person who rolls with that my dad always used to say it's like you play the cards you're dealt how how did that sit with you yeah it's it was hard, you know, for me, I never thought about sight loss. I thought that I might have a sight impairment. Right. Um, it was, it was really only, only up to when I was on my eighth and ninth, um, seventh or eighth graph. That's, I was taught by the consultants. And if you, if you, if you have another rejection, we can't do anything about it because your body just can't handle it. Right. Um, and that's what it kind of made it real, mm. uh, because after, after university, I graduated, I was a doctor, I was working around the world. I was a trauma doctor. So yeah. after, between graphs every six to nine months, I would, I would take a couple of weeks off and go back straight to work again. Oh my we, we did this for about eight years. Yeah. Um, so it really made it real when, when I was told, well, if this doesn't work, uh, this is it, Emmett. Uh, for, at, that, at that time, it was when I had that conversation with the, with the consultants and they said, well, we can't do anything now. You know, you're, you're kind of on your own. I had to pack my bags and uh, kind of go off to the States to find a solution. Right. Which, which I did. Um, I, I managed to get my corneas grown using stem cell surgery, had them brought over here into the UK. I had to fly the doctors and the consultants in with it. Um, had the transplants here and it worked. It worked for, I had perfect vision for, I would say, over, over two years. And in that time, fell in love, 
got married. Oh, um, give And yeah, I was, I was living the best <laughs> of my life. You know, we, we, me and my wife were talking about where we wanted to have a family, where we wanted to kind of settle. Um, at this time, we're living in Surrey. Um, and then suddenly one day came home from work. Managed to have dinner with my wife. She, she actually waited up for me. It was about 11 o'clock when I got home eventually from, from the hospital. That's a good wife. Yeah, she kind of reheated the meal, you know, dinner a few times. So. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, she stayed up because it was one of those really busy weeks that we, we, we yeah. didn't see each other. We kind of missed each other every day. Um, so she stayed up. She, she, we had dinner. She went to bed. So I kind of finished off some paperwork for work right. and went to bed. And we didn't realise that there was a, a blood vessel kind of being pinched in the back of my eyes that went pop overnight oh, wow. okay so i woke up to, to no sight so that's yes, where yes. my sight loss journey really started right gosh i mean you were talking before about you're somewhat of a bullish personality is that right is that the right word yeah i think you have to be working in trauma yeah. right uh, I, yeah. I, I specialized in emergency medicine and, and um, major incidences so earthquakes tsunamis i won't get flown around the world i work for the mod i work for the the army so you kind of have you, you kind of have to believe in what you say. Yeah. Um, and, and, and especially being being a trauma doctor, you kind of, you have to go with your gut. Right. You know, it's you, you have to assess all the information in front of you and then kind of just, just go for it. Yeah. Um, it's never dithering, yeah, I imagine. You, 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 can't, you can't think about, oh, should I have done this or should I do this? It just doesn't work. Yeah. And for my personality kind of works. So, so it, for me, it's if I set my mind to something, I tend to tend to find a way. Nice. Okay. Well, that leads on very nicely. I appreciate this. Um, when, when we talk about your personality, I'm going to just ask some questions about getting to know you as a person. So what I've prepared here are 30... Is that Was that excitement or like a... Ah! I kind of feel I need a drum roll. <laughs> Ola, you could do a drum roll. I mean, our techie here is very musical. He's done one. It's good. You might be able to hear it on the microphone. Let's hope so. And um, I have prepared 30 questions, Amit, and I would like you to choose a number between 1 and 30. So you are essentially choreographing your own interview here. Okay, I like this. Uh, number six. Number six. Okay. Um, ooh, what is your favourite ever family holiday? Ah, do you know what? I, so oh, I okay. used to love the fact that... So my, 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 my parents had, had, a, had a... They were self-employed. Dad worked for the MOB at the time. So mm-hmm. we never had that opportunity to go away and holiday together. Right, okay. There's always, you know, it's it's, it's always, I don't go with my, pet, my dad, I'll go with my mum. Never an opportunity to go go away together. Best holiday was actually after I lost my sight. Right. It was, it was, I was sat with my wife having a cup of coffee and I, and I said to her, how I miss my grand who lives in India. Right, okay. Uh, I hadn't seen her for a few years and I just, it, this was, this was about, I would say about nine months after I lost my sight. And my wife said, well, let's just go. It's uh, like, you're stopping us. I'm like, it's India with a white cane. I'm like, no, we can't do it. She's like, yeah, let's just do it. And I didn't realise that my parents, my, well, my wife told, told my parents, my parents said, well, we'll go as well. You know, we'll just make it, make it a bit of a surprise. We didn't tell, nobody told my nan either. Uh, so my parents got to, in, my parents got to India first, got to my nan's house and said, oh, we're going to go and pick up some friends from the hospital, uh, from the, from the, the airport. Yeah. Um, so my nan came out and then I walked out of my wife and it's the first time my wife had actually seen my nan as well. Because oh, my nan wow. was too ill to come out to the wedding yeah. to fly over. So that was probably, Gosh. I would say, I would say the best, best holiday I ever had. Nice the temperature was over 45 degrees for about three weeks. Okay. 
Which well, part of India was this? Yeah, indoor. Right, okay. So, Pretty, absolutely, uh, absolutely fantastic park. But just, to, I think for me, it was, it was very much a reassurance for my nan as well that I was okay. Right. You know, okay. and be able to put my hand, arm around my nan. And that's what we did, I think, oh, for, for the three weeks. That must have meant so um, much. So that was my best holiday. Nice. What a great answer. I'm really <laughs> glad you chose number six. Okay, I'm going to ask two more um, random questions. Then I'm going to ask it a little bit more about you with, with some kind of, you know, actual plan behind it. Oh, uh, God, what's your next number? Number 22. 22. I'm going to, you can hear the flip of the pages. Ooh, this is fun. What is your go to guilty pleasure? Donuts. Oh. Uh, donuts. Wait, 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 wait. Are we talking with the jam? I'm talking about. Are we talking with I'm the talking glaze? About, I'm, I'm talking about the jam and the glaze. I'm Whoa. Talking, I'm, I'm talking about the full on. Like a Krispy Kreme? There's a, there's a company called, so it's a bit of advertising here. Oh, no. Long Boys Donuts. What and was they, it again? Long boys. Okay. And they look, I, apparently they look like hot dogs. Oh. So they kind of, you've got, you've got the bun and then you've got the, the filling inside yeah. of it. Instead of the sausage, it's, it's whatever filling you kind of want. And is this are, American? It is American. There's a few, few, there's a few places here in London. Okay. Um, you will go, you will get very, you, you, you lose your money very quickly if you kind of decide <laughs> that was your thing all the time. So it's, it's one of those guilty, if I'm in the area and I kind of want to pick me up. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, but you, I, I'm kind of riding my sugar. Yeah, all the way. Okay. It sounds like a yum yum almost. Like a yeah, long it's a huge, Yeah, it's just a big version of that. Like a big yum yeah, yum yeah. with filling. Imagine, imagine a hot dog bun. Yeah. It's kind of that size. Ooh. Um, yeah. So American. Oh, yes. Yeah. How do you feel about the, the term guilty pleasure? If it, I mean, some people, there's a school of thought like, if it's pleasure, why put the guilt in? Oh, no, it is pretty guilty. You know, I kind of have to, have to reduce my coffee and everything. It makes me feel, do you know what? It's, it cheers me up. I kind of like it. And I like the fact that. It's it's my thing. Yeah, and yeah, even yeah. if my wife says to me, "Let me bring one back," it'll never kind of get home because I'll be on the train on the way. I can smell that sugar just wafting up. Busted. Um, yeah. My, do you know my sister-in-law is a nutritionist, and she calls food like that a sometimes food. She's like, enjoy, enjoy it, but Absolutely. not every day. Do you know what? I, I kind of that's, that's I kind of think that yeah. think the same way. You know, yeah. everything in moderation, right? Yeah. Well, feel free. Sometimes food. We use it in my house with my children, and it is a it's a useful way to not like tarnish and spoil delicious things. Um. Okay. One more. One more question. I am going to go for number twenty nine. Uh, that is. Um, if you could have any exotic animal as a pet, what would you have? And this leads into Kika, hopefully not feeling too... Uh... I don't have an exotic animal. Do you want, if you want, I will let you, as a special guest, choose a different question. You're not, yeah, do you want this? I'm not very much into exotic animals. Good, so that's I'm, fine, I'm, we can pivot. Um, we can do it. Let's go number one. Whoa, all in. Okay. What was the last five film that you cried at? Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. I don't know. I can't remember. Do you know what? I am. I did quite a bunch of films. Um, but what was the last film? I think it was a. It was a Bollywood film. Oh, nice. It, it, okay. It, it was a Bollywood film. It was like full well, drama, tearjerker, full, full on hundred costume changes. I'm yes. guessing in in a, in a song. Um, what was the film? What was the film? Mohabbatin. Okay. Would you recommend it? I do. It's it's, it's quite a, quite a popular popular Bollywood film. Okay. It, I've seen it as a sighted person. I'm watching it as a VI when there's no audio description. 
Oh, right. Okay, yeah, I was actually, assuming it was with an audio no, description. No, no. So I kind of have to go back to remembering how the film was. Yeah. But I find I listen to the dialogue a little bit more. How I'm not, interesting. I'm not, yeah. I'm not taken by what's on the screen. I'm yeah. actually listening to what's, what's being said. And it gets quite emotional. I kind of get my, I kind of find myself kind of, kind of into the film. I kind of, I feel like I'm part of it. Yeah. Um, or I'm listening into a conversation because I'm not. There's no, there's no audio description. There's no, there's nobody telling me what's happening. You're in the moment. I'm in the moment. Love it. Okay. Because you'd imagine, like you, you've obviously been in some hardcore situations. We're probably, probably pretty like you've got to be an emotionally resilient guy. I imagine for the medical work that you were doing. I was until I lost my sight. Right. Um, okay. You know, it really, it really did change because walking around and hearing people talk about you as opposed to to you, and talking about how you know, I wonder how it gets changed in the mornings, or, or disabled people can't ride trains at peak time. You know, what do we do if there is an incident? Do we help you or do we help ourselves? Um, I've had people say to me, you know, you're selfish for having kids because you're disabled, and it kind of things like that eat away at you. Um, and I never thought it would do. I, ne- I never prepared myself for that. So when I started hearing that for the first time, I kind of thought, well, is this how society sees me? Right. Well, how has society sees disabled people? Is this how people actually see me? Is this how you know? Do I not look strong enough that I can walk around, a, a, you know, a, a trunk carriage at peak time? Mm-hmm. Um, and it does start wearing away. And I, I think I think that kind of armor I used to have mm. has kind of disappeared. Um, and I'm a lot more emotional than I ever was. That's really, I mean, my next question was going to be, how have you changed as a person through your sight loss journey? And yeah, I can, I can imagine you, you, you feel more vulnerable. How do you uh, kind of combat that? By doing what I can to help. Right. I, think, I think that whole being a doctor is still there. Yeah. Uh, you know, I can't, I can't, can't walk into an NE and work in an NE anymore. But the whole lived experience, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a confident guy, I'm, I'm an outspoken guy, and if I have an issue with mm. something, a thousand other people are going to have this issue. True. Um, and the one thing that kind of keeps me going is when I get a message saying, Emmett, thank you for talking about this, or thank you for raising this, you know, to people's attention, because I don't have the courage, or, you know, I've been, I've been uh, spoken to in such a way that I can't go back into a job centre because they don't respect me. Right. Or when I'm out in public, people take the mickey out of me. Um, because they just don't understand, um, and that breaks my heart. That really, really breaks my heart because I'm I'm very lucky. I've got I've got an amazing wife. I've got a great network of friends around me now. Mm-hmm. Not everybody does. Not right. everybody has that strength, that energy to kind of bounce back up again. Nobody has that shoulder to cry on all the time. Yeah, um, it can be and, and that that to me, I don't want anybody to go through that. So I've lost too many friends who I've made friends during the sight loss journey. And they've, they've taken their own lives because they haven't got to the stage where they, where people are listening or they can reach out. And they should never, ever have to get to that stage. Right. Okay. I'm really glad you say that. I mean, yeah, that's our kind of reason for being here at Croydon Vision. And it's, it's really nice to hear you um, put it that way. Um, moving on to your feet of driving around the Top Gear track, just a little, <laughs> little lighter, uh, which is pretty epic. Is there anything you wouldn't attempt in a bid to achieve greater representation uh, for disabled people across all areas. Like, what would you be like? No. Do you know what? That's too much. No, thank you. You know, I probably wouldn't say no. I think my wife will have a different <laughs> argument to that. She um, <laughs> but she she kind of knew what she married. Right. Right. Yeah. And the thing with my wife is, when I did lose my sight, people took either random people were saying that, well, you married a doctor now, you're going to have to look after him for the rest of your life. Wow. And my wife's comments were always, well, I married Amit. 
Mm. He's just kind of in there somewhere until he finds himself again. So it's, you know, that kind of looking for a thrill has never really changed. Mm. Um, but it's it, a riddle. That's what you're, you're a thrill seeker. Yeah, there's never, but even now people say to me, oh, well, I mean, you know, you, I used to jump out of helicopters into the North Sea for, for work. And people will say to me, well, where do you get your skills now? Mm. I kind of say, well, I walk out the door. <laughs> I walk out my front door and that's, that's kind of a whole new world. You know, every day it's different. Well, um, that's an interesting comparison, like so, jumping out of a helicopter into the North Sea. I think jumping out of a helicopter into the North Sea is probably safer than walking out of your house sometimes. <laughs> uh, because you have no control over anything whatsoever. Right. Especially, you know, guide dog owners and white cane users will know that, you know, you've got, you've got obstacles, you've got roadworks, you've got electric vehicles, now you've got electric scooters. Right. Um, it's, it's a minefield sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it's, for me... I'm, I'm, I'm all for all that. You know, everything, everything obviously changes and, and I'm, I'm happy to change with it, but it's the energy that it takes to kind of navigate your way around every yeah. day. I find that I get tired a lot, lot quicker than I used to. Um, I'm constantly having to think so much more. A simple journey isn't a simple journey anymore, Yeah. Um, especially with COVID and everything else that's happened in the meantime. So, but there's nothing I would say no to. Good uh, words. There's absolutely nothing. We'll have, a, we'll have to have a rainstorm in that case. Okay. Yeah, I think very, just on that subject, I, Odette, who works here, very memorably said to me, every um, trip that a visually impaired person makes outside their front door is a huge act of bravery. And it was really resonated and, yeah, chimes in with, with what you're saying. Um, what, next question. What is the most irritating thing that's been sent to you in inaccessible format? <laughs> the reason I ask is, is one of our members was incredulous that their their PIP award letter yeah. was sent font size twelve. Like, yes, well, do you yeah, get that? I do. I get I get letters from my GP who know I'm visually impaired. Yeah. They will send the letter and then have the audacity to phone me up to say I've missed an appointment because they sent me a letter. And obviously, when you say, well, you know I'm busy in pets, it's easy if you pick up the phone. No, no, this is how we do it. Right. But I think it's it's more education. I, th- I don't think people realise just how inaccessible a lot of information is. Even even, even when um, the government were putting out COVID um, responses and, and information and advice, mm. a lot of that was inaccessible for so visual. Yeah, yeah. We're actually, I, I'm just a seamless segue, we're actually running uh, visual awareness workshops at the moment and getting different businesses and doctor surgeries, as you mentioned before, just to come in and um, chat to them and do hands-on activities and taboo smashing Q&A sessions and things. Um, but it's not, it's not just doctor surgery. No. If, you, if, you, if you're sat in an eye clinic and your consultant walks out, shouts you there and walks away again, you kind of think, wow, wow, wow. <laughs> you, you know, you've got, you've got 10 vision impaired people sat in this, in this room. Oh my well, gosh. Yeah. I should give you some cards. Next time that happens, can you give them a card? Say, go to Toy Division, get the visual awareness workshop on. Um, that would be very, very good. So, um, what, what piece of kit? Let's talk about kit because things have changed a lot for visually impaired people in the last like decade. Um, besides Pika, um, do you use most on a day-to-day business? I do. So, um, I learned so after I lost my sight, I learned to read Braille. Um, Did you? So I use I use a Brilliance, I use a Braille typewriter, a Braille display, even okay. a Braille printer. You know, people take, take people take it for granted that you can buy a printer for fifty pounds. You know, it'll print out a color document, a black and white document, and you've got something in your hand. You've got a yeah. hard copy. Uh, for me, who do who does a lot of public speaking. Mm. A bright a Brilliance, you know, a Braille display is all well and good, but I kind of want a hard copy sometimes. Um, 
But when you when you're thinking, you know, when you look at the cost of a power printer, you know, anything from Crazy, five thousand to forty five thousand pounds oh. just to punch some dots into some. Yeah. It sounds simple, obviously it isn't, but you know, it's it's one of these things that a lot of people take a lot of things for granted. Um, right, so proud displays. I have I have an all cam. Um, What's but, that? So I don't know. Cam, but so an all cap is is to fairly, me. I'm thinking Wales. It's an all cap is something that sits on your on a pair of glasses. Right. Um, okay. And it it will scan the environment in front of you. It would read. It would read text. It would read um, handwriting. It will even tell you how many people are in the room. And all Gosh, of this. That's so clever. And all of this works offline. So you don't actually need a data link. You don't. You can be in the subway. You can be in the underground. You can be in a tunnel, and it will work. Um. Again. Comes just a huge cost, you know. You can, you can. I, I sometimes walk around London. I've got thirty, maybe thirty-five, forty thousand pounds worth of equipment to do a job that someone can do visually. Goodness. And you kind of well, one, you're vulnerable anyway. Yeah. And you two, you can't look vulnerable, so you can't ask for too much help. Yeah. Um, and I've had my laptop stolen. I've had my mobile phone stolen. I've been followed from three stations, and they kind of been, uh, kind of put into a corner and had my bags snatched off me. So I've, I've been there. Yes. Uh, and I, I completely know how that is. So it's, it's, it's that whole balance of what you really need on this day and how much you take with you. Right. It's quite chilling, isn't it, when you think about how people would, would oh, yeah. target a vision of their person and you just think, what? The first thing I was actually told by my consultants is, you do know, I mean, you're going to be an easy target now, is what I was told. Well, before... It's encouraging. Before, you know, this is where we can get you help. Yeah. Well, very much, and you know you're vulnerable now. <laughs> what a pet yeah. talk. Yeah. I mean, that's helpful. Um, I mean, yeah, but you you are clearly a very independent and empowered person. So if somebody wanted to assist you, what's the best way to approach you? Oh, and I not love alienate. I you like this? I love it. This is this is probably the top question. This is Whoa, the, wait, better than the crying at the film question. Better than the crying at the film because what? I think I think a lot of people want to help, yeah. but they're never sure how to approach yeah. or whether they're going to offend that person. Totally. Um, I get I get asked this all of the time. And it's very much, you know, if you if you look if you see someone who looks like they might need some help. So for, for me, for an example, if I'm at a busy train station, it's and I can't always hear the tannoy systems because it's it's really loud or it's there's too much background noise. And I kind of miss where I step. I don't really want to take my phone out of my pocket because again, yeah. it's, it's a it's a vulnerable position. You know, anybody can walk past and, and snatch your phone. Yeah. So you kind of you you want to look like you want help, but you can't look vulnerable. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't put your hand up and say anybody can can someone help me. Um, I kind of feel that if someone turns around to me and says. Excuse me, are you okay? Can I help you or can I assist you or would you like some help? Right. At the end of the day, it's, it's up to me to say yes or no. Okay. I'll never assume someone always wants help and never never get discouraged if someone turns around and says, no, I'm okay. Yeah, uh, okay. Because a, a lot of people, you know, a lot of vision impaired people, disabled people know what they're doing. Mm. But for me, if you if you can help me maybe get on the train, find the door on, mm-hmm. the, on that train or maybe even find the right platform, mm. you've taken that that anguish away from me you've taken that that kind of hot that that difficult of kind of navigating maybe in an unknown area yeah. away from me um and you've made my day a million times better that's you know, so I'll, good I'll have a big smile on my face and also it'll probably encourage them to go out and help someone else as well 100 percent. yeah so never ever ever you know kind of get discouraged if someone says no and you know if you do look if you do see someone just go over and offer or offer assistance and ask mm. them how do you want to help and always, good tip is to say goodbye when you're going. The amount of times I'm stood going at a wall, <laughs> talking to myself. Now it's that blind guy, but now you just talk to yourself. Oh my um, gosh! 
yeah. like funny but also quite awkward at the same time but that's great but there's also people you know who automatically assume you do need help right I remember okay. when I when I just started learning to use my white cane I'm kind of out and about on my own and I got to a set of traffic lights just to get my and I stopped just to get my bearings because I knew I had to turn right but I just had to kind of take a couple of minutes and this little old lady literally came over, grabbed my arm, took me across the road, because that's where she assumed I was going. Right, good. And said goodbye, and off she went. So and, presumptuous. And yeah, I kind of had to laugh, because it was it was kind of out of a comic strip, you know, just hilarious that it happened. And she was tiny from, from you know. Right, okay. But she, she's like, she's dragging me across the road, and I'm dragging my white cane. Goodness um, me. But, but she said... She was really polite. And she so, said goodbye. She said goodbye, so I had to get someone to take me back again just so I can start my journey again. <laughs> Came from a good place. But Absolutely. yeah, asking and then empowering and then yes. they can always say no. Okay, good. Um, you obviously, you work with the um, Vision Foundation, who we, we work with as well at Croydon Vision. How do organisations like um, Vision Foundation, but also Croydon Vision on the ground, kind of make a difference to people's lives? Oh, it's, it's huge. It's huge. You know, you've got you've got a, you've got the big um, charities like the RNIB and Guide Dogs, but you've got Vision Foundation, Croydon Vision, you know Saturn Vision, who mm. who are on the ground, who are actually helping those in the community. Who, if I personally think, know a little bit more about what's going on and what's needed. Um, obviously, it all comes down to funding and 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 you know, just how much you can actually help someone. But I think it's it's. It makes such a difference in the fact that when I talk to people who use your services, yeah, the comments I get is, I don't feel alone. Yeah. I, I feel I can talk to someone. I feel that if I say I'm going through this, someone understands me. They're not just saying, oh, I can imagine what you're going through. I actually understand the day-to-day heartache of living with sight loss. Mm. Um, but even sometimes those small issues you may have start becoming a, a huge snowball because you've got nobody to talk to. But, you know, actually having that, having that, Having the, the fact that you can go into a sensor or even picking up a phone mm. and actually having someone who is kind, sympathetic, and can actually help find the answer to your questions, yeah. it, it's, it's, it's a lifesaver. Yeah. And that's what it is. It really is. I think if, if you guys didn't do have the service, if you, didn't have, if you weren't here... I would try to think how miserable a lot of people's lives would be. I yeah, I think, and and I think that's what it is. It's you're 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 helping the everyday person. Mm. It's it's not anything big. You're you're helping. You're empowering them to live their own life independently with mm. confidence, you know, and being able to make decisions by themselves with a little bit of help here and there. Yeah, and we all need help. Oh yeah, you know, absolutely. I I do you know it's funny you say that, and I'm really glad you mentioned loneliness at the beginning. But there's there's also that that complicit understanding that I was in the coffee lounge yesterday and there were three members sat around um, like variously working on different things but also having a chat and um, they were all bemoaning the fact that you know you were lucky if you have a visual impairment where you can pronounce it easily yes. <laughs> and they were having a real laugh about it and I was like whoa I, d- I don't think a, a sighted person could have that kind of a, a joke you've got to be kind of um, in, in kind of like-minded people you need peers right absolutely and peers is a huge huge thing you know when, when I lost my sight even having the whole doctor's background I felt as if I was going through this by myself yeah. I was angry with the world I was angry with myself you know how could I let this happen to me <laughs> um, and it was only when I started doing a living with sight loss course at the RNIB that I was I, I was in a room with others going through the same situation I was yeah um and that just that made things easy. 
And we, we still have an amazing network now. You know, we keep in touch. We're, we're, we're good friends. But it's, it's that peer support. It's being able to pick up the phone and say, Steve, I'm going through this. You know, any, any advice? Or just being able to talk to someone without them making any assumptions of right. you know, your day yeah. or how you are. And I don't have to fake a smile. Yeah. I, don't, I can be my real self. Okay. Love that. Uh, okay, we're nearly done, Dr. Aris. I will release you soon because there are a lot of people in Croydon Vision who want to chat with you today. Um, if you had two minutes to give someone an insight into what it's like to be blind or partially sighted, what would you do with them? You've only got two minutes. The minstrel. Two minutes. The whole thing where you know, so a lot of people say, "Oh, I can, I can, I can imagine what your life's like because I've closed your eyes for five minutes." I mean, you know, come it's, on. It's let me say, let me say one thing. Yeah, being visually impaired. Yes, I can't. I can't see what's going on around me. You know, I'll never see my kids. I'll never see what they grow up uh, and look like. But my wife will never age. You know, she looked exactly the same as she did right. nine years ago. Plus, um, <laughs> But yeah, this is it. And I think, I think I'm at a stage now on my sight loss journey, and I'm still, I'm still on this journey mm-hmm. that I'm confident as living as a visually impaired person. Mm-hmm. I don't think I miss out on anything. If anything, I kind of appreciate what's around me. I'm, I'm not, I'm not taken by what's in front of me. Um, and and it's very much, I think, I think the one thing that will shock a lot of people is just how society treats them as opposed to, because you, I, as, a, as a visually impaired person, I can, I, can, I can dream of whatever I want to, but sometimes it's society that kind of puts their hands in front of me and says, stop, you can't do this because you're visually impaired. Right. And, it's, and they limit you. Um, hence you do what you do. Hence what I do. Yeah, this is it. And I'm, I'm pretty loud. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, <laughs> the way I see it is if you roll your eyes and you yawn while I'm talking, it doesn't bother me, I can't see it. Done. So you're, you're going really to listen to what I have to say, <laughs> but it's it's that thing where not so much of a sight loss, but it's more the emotional side of things. It's how other people see you. You know, how how would you like to be treated if you're visually impaired? Okay. You know, or or you had a disability. Would you want people to treat you differently? Would you want them to tiptoe around you? Would you want to be part of society, or would you want to be a second thought? Right. Okay. Um, and I, and I think for me, it's it's very much the emotional side. This, you know, the whole living with sight loss, you. You eventually do get used to it. You have to if you want to move on. It's a hard thing. And sometimes I do wake up and I think, you know what, today's going to be a struggle because I know what I've got on. I wake up most days and I kind of think, well, this is life. You know, I, I, I put my toothpaste on my finger and put it in my mouth and then put my brush in my mouth so I don't have to try and hunt around. You know, it's wow. the things you, you kind of start doing. Yeah. But you, you soon find life is still fantastic life is still beautiful life is still wonderful and colorful and you can you can be and do whatever you want to i love it okay look keek is up she's telling me <laughs> look my time's up but so my, my last question is there a motto that you live by no pressure no no quite no motto but you know what it's just believe in yourself don't don't let anybody tell you what you're capable of doing you know, just believe in yourself. And you know what? If you if you don't believe in yourself, reach out to one of the sight loss charities because they will help you find yourself again. Love it. Amit, thank you so much for coming in. I really, really Bye appreciate pleasure. it. Thank you for listening. Please do give our other episodes a listen to find out more about the work we do at Croydon Vision and the people who make up our vibrant community.